You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Galatians. And we've been kind of talking and asking the question on uh, why are we the way that we are. Thanks, Chad. I can see better. Uh, I was a little bit... But anyway, uh, why are you the way that you are? And of course, that's one of the, the things we said almost as a cry of uh, frustration or desperation, sometimes humor. You've either said it to yourself, why am I the way I am? Or other times, maybe you've uh, asked a spouse or a loved one, why are you the way that you are? Or you've thought that. Um, but we've kind of tried to talk about that, why we are the way we are. We were born the way that we are. We all have different temperaments, different makeups. Um, but now we've kind of transitioned that, even though we've alluded to this all along the way, on being who God made you to be. He made you the person you are so that you could be the person he would have you to be. He gave you your tendencies and your temperament, which sometimes may drive us and even our loved ones crazy, especially the weaknesses of those things. Um, but he gave us those to use, to, to give us the power of the Holy Spirit of God and to give us strength uh, in these. And uh, so in Galatians chapter 5, you mark this down. Remember this statement right here. God's resource for, hum, for the human weaknesses uh, is the power, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, that's how we will overcome. It's not through strong willpower because, uh, you know, a sanguine would be totally out. You know, when studying the temperaments, <laughs> a sanguine is not noted for willpower. A sanguine would be out completely if it was up to willpower for us to overcome these weaknesses. I'm thankful uh, as a sanguine temperament that I'm not, that God didn't say, okay, boy, here's what you need to do, now do it. I'm glad he says, here's what you need to do, do it, and I'm going to come live inside of you and help you do it. You know, it's one thing. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever trained somebody on a job before? Uh, ever been training somebody? Or maybe you've been trained yourself. Some people can train better than others, right? Uh, and, you know, I, I can remember I've, I've had jobs and, uh, to where people have come, and the training is literally like they, you could tell right away they don't have time for it. They're in a hurry, and it's just like, yeah, you do this, this, and this, and then boom, off they go. And uh, about five minutes later, you're like, wait, what? Uh, there's no way I got everything I need to know for this job. And you can learn as you go, but you still have questions. Um, and, uh, you know, I, sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need guidance. I, uh, at work, I was, I was, for a while there, I was the guy they would have. I would train certain people. And a lot of times I would train the people that they've already tried to train, that they were having issues with. Uh, and it's so funny because there was this one kid that came to work, and um, the whole thing with especially certain parts of where we work, this one particular area, it's all about speed. I mean, it's about quality. It depends on which mood they're in at the time. You know, quality goes down, and they, they want you to slow down a little bit, but then production goes down. They want you to speed up, and sometimes it seems to ebb and flow. But uh, they were really, really emphasized speed and working quickly in this particular area. And there's this one guy, this kid, he, they just could not get him to uh, pick it up. And they was like, Jesse, do you think, you know, just, just work with him for a day and see if we can, you know, get, get things through his head and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so I, I worked with him and was trying to show him, you know, little tricks and little ways to be a little quicker and pick up the pace and whatnot. And about halfway through the day, I went off for a little bit to do something else, come back. And I come back and said, hey, I said, how's it going, man? Ah, oh, just chilling. 
And I'm like, you're kind of missing the point. <laughs> chill on break, man. This ain't the chilling type of job, all right? Uh, but he just didn't get it. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, they had me train another guy, and this was even funnier because it seemed like the people I trained ended up leaving shortly thereafter. But I'm telling you, it wasn't because of I'm certain it wasn't because of me. I'm telling you, I really believe that they gave me the problem cases because, you know, oh, you're a nice guy and you can, you, can, and you can encourage them and try to get them to do right without coming across like a jerk. And, uh, but no, there was this one guy and he was working and he was liking it. He worked at Walmart. He was coming over from Walmart and um, he, uh, as the day went on, I was just kind of showing him some tips and tricks. And I was like, oh, by the way, up here's your production numbers. You know, it's posted up here on the office. You can see it at the end of, at each break and at the end of the day, you know, here's your percentages and there's all these numbers right there. And he's like, wait, this is, they're keeping up with our numbers on this thing? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I was like, don't worry about it, man. I said, they, you know, I said, they're really relaxed about it the first couple of weeks. And, you know, I said, they give you time to, to grow into it and everything like that. And uh, apparently this freaked him out because this was right before lunch. We went to lunch, and homeboy didn't even come back, man. That dude went straight back over to Walmart and said, hey, can I have my job back? And he was like, I'm not doing that. But uh, Now, why are you talking about working and training? I'm just saying as an illustration, what if you had the person who knows how to do the job better than anybody uh, with you the whole time. Well, that would get annoying maybe, but what if you had that person living inside of you? Now, all of a sudden, that sounds weird. But to bring it into spiritual terms, what I wanna say is this. As God's people, we, if you're saved by God's grace, the Bible says we have the Holy Spirit of Christ. We have Christ dwelling within us. And so, when he tells us to do what he tells us to do in the scripture, there are some of these things that, humanly speaking, are impossible for us. There are things that we cannot even do uh, through our own strength and through our own abilities. However, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can. Amen. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's, that's not because I'm so great and powerful. No, it's because I've got a great, powerful God living on the inside of me. Amen. The Holy Spirit of God. So what that does, and that's one of the reasons why as we've studied the temperaments, I've enjoyed emphasizing the fact and reminding you of the fact that we need not ever use our temperaments for excuses. And I'm talking about just flat out excuses of saying, you know what, I'll never be able to be a disciplined person because, uh, because of my sanguine temperament. I'll never be able to uh, be timely. I'll never be able to control my temper. I'll never be able to do that. Uh, I'll never be able to, uh, you know, you fill in the blank. All these things that you can't do or you'll never be able to do. Uh, man, I'm telling you, that's a lie. And real, whether you realize it or not, if God's telling you to do it, then you turn around and say, I can't do that. We don't realize sometimes the things that we, in our pride, that we almost seem to insinuate as if we knew more than God. As if, as if God looks down and says, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize about you. You're a special case, uh, you know. And, um, and that's kind of how we can be about it sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, God will empower us. Now, there are some things that come easier to us than other things. That's obvious. But the fact of the matter is, is through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can produce. We can, from the inside, and this is the important thing, from the inside out, God works in our hearts and lives. But the main thing is we don't need to excuse. I, um, if, you're a, if you're a kid of mine, or if, uh, and I haven't coached in a long time, but man, I do not like I can't. 
uh, oh, I can't do that, or I'm, that's too hard, you know, whatever. It's like, no, you, you, you can say that's difficult, but don't tell me you can't do it. Um, because uh, you're, you're accepting failure before you even try. Uh, or you try, how many of you have ever tried to get in shape or lose weight, you know? And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, if, I, if, if I'm going hard after it, man, and I'm talking about almost for a whole day, if I eat right for a day, I go exercise for that day, and when I get on the scale the next day, and it hasn't changed, I'm done. This stuff doesn't work, right? Uh, you ever been there? Uh, I've been there, I've, and by God's grace, I don't live there, but I've been there. Uh, by the way, I generally don't even step on the scale anymore. I try to, I try to stay in shape and everything like that, but I just try to avoid the scale altogether. Uh, and just go by how my clothes are fitting or something, you know, but uh, that's, that can be discouraging enough. But the point that I'm making is this, that's sometimes how we do in our spiritual life. Okay, I'm going to read my Bible. We read it for one day, come to church, we listen to it, we listen to some encouraging messages one day, and the next day it's like we're, well, that didn't work. You know, it's like, no, give, 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 give it time. I mean, it's, it's growth. Uh, you know, uh, Ralph's a real patient guy, so you could talk to him about it. But he knows that if you were to, if you plant a garden, you know, I mean, all this fruit that people, all these uh, tomatoes and cucumbers that people are trying to pawn off on everybody right now, that did not just happen. That started, that started, that process started months ago, didn't it? When people, man, when the sun came out and people started getting excited about planting a garden uh, and, uh, and, and getting those seeds in the ground. But it's taken this long for that fruit. And so the fruit of the Spirit is not overnight, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit grows and is cultivated within our hearts. And so let's quickly look at, the, try, I'm going to try to look at the first three fruit of the Spirit. You're, we're familiar with them, but let's think about them in, in, in relation to our, our weaknesses, okay? So the very first fruit of the Spirit, as we look here in Galatians 5, and we've been starting in verse number 16, but today I think I just want to start talking about the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And I'm just going to stop right there uh, because those are the three that I'm going to try to deal with today. Uh, we started talking about love last week. Love is the first characteristic in God's catalog of Spirit-filled traits, the fruit of the Spirit. A love for God and a love for our fellow man. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We are to love our God. Then he also said in Matthew 19, 19, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if you keep those two commandments, if you keep those two things, that you'll keep, that, that, that the, law is, the law is fulfilled in those. Because if I love God, guess what? I'm not going to put anything before God. If I love God, I'm not going to bow down to an idol. If I love God, I'm not going to take his name in vain. If I love my neighbor as myself, I'm not going to lie to my neighbor. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to kill. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to do any of those things. Uh, and it just shows you the power of love. Uh, love is stronger than the law. And now, some try to use love to dismiss living right. But no, love doesn't make you live uh, as a transgressor. Love makes you live above, amen? Because love doesn't ask. Uh, love does not ask that question, basically, how close can I get to this sin and still be okay with God? 
That's not what love is. Love doesn't ask that question. Love says, how far can I go for my God? I mean, uh, a, a love for my, if I have a love for my wife, if I have a love for my children, I don't, I, I don't all the time have to ask myself, okay, what is the, what's, what's required by law in this thing with kids? Okay, I've got to feed them. Uh, I've got to clothe them. I've got to make sure, you know, in our country that, they, that they're educated. Uh, so I check those boxes. Oh, go, go, go do something with them? Uh, you know, be a part and encouragement in, in activities and so forth? Uh, is, that, is that the law? Well, then no, thank you. I'm not interested in that. I don't, I don't have to do You know, that's what people ask as, as God's people all the time. Does God say I have to do this or that? You know, does it really say, uh, you know, sometimes when we're trying to push the line? That's how we can be. How about, how, how would our relationship with our kids be? How would our relationship with our wives and our husbands be if we just done said, okay, what's really required here? Uh, what's really required? See, love does not ask those questions. Love wants to pour in. Love wants to give more. Love wants to go further. And that's how true biblical love is. And it is too bad that the Bible does say that we live in a time to where the grace of God has been turned into lasciviousness. So we see that illustrated. It's one of the, the marks oftentimes of, I believe, the great falling away. People say love, 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 but what they mean is uh, lasciviousness. They just mean, oh, we love people so much, we would never tell them that sin would destroy their lives. We love people so much, we would never tell them about the reality of hell. Uh, that's just asinine. That's ridiculousness. But these churches get a reputation. Oh, they're so loving. Uh, they, they pat, I, I sin, I commit adultery, I, I commit fornication and do all these things, and they just pat me on the back and, and rejoice in the grace of God. They've even started letting me have a home, home Bible study group at my home. Boy, you talk about love. Is that love? You're destroying yourself. You're destroying your family. You're hurting those around you. You're spreading poison. Love does not, uh, it, that's, that's not what love is. Love is not, that, is not the parents that, let their, uh, that, that don't keep up with their kids, that, don't, that aren't responsible for their kids, that let their kids run wild. Um, that's not what love is. Love is caring. Love is involved. Love is tender. Um, all right. Uh, I felt like I was about to break into an Elvis song there, but uh, love. All right, so uh, I, I'm determined to get through these today, man, and, but I'm getting off to a horrible start if that's the goal. Uh, love. All right, uh, the thing that we got to know when it comes to loving God with all of our hearts, minds, and spirits, and, and so forth, when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourselves, mark this down, this kind of love is supernatural. It's a supernatural love. A love that causes someone to be more interested in the kingdom of God than in this material kingdom in which we live is supernatural. For I'm telling you, I believe for people to invest, not only invest financially, but actually invest their time into reaching souls uh, for Christ and seeing people discipled for Christ and so forth, uh, that's a supernatural kind of love. Now, so a love for God now is a love for the neighbor. There's some people that have a strong humanitarian uh, tendencies about them. Uh, by nature, they have expressed love in exemplary acts. But the love described in the Bible is not just for those who stir admiration or compassion in us. This isn't the kind of love that sees a needy person. We need more of this. The kind of love that sees a needy person is there trying to help them. But this love is even further than that, is it? Because what kind of love did Jesus say that we would have? Not only toward those that we love, not only toward those that we can sympathize with, but he said we ought to love our enemies. 
He said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to them who despitefully use you. In, in, in the Beatitudes there, Matthew 5, 44, this kind of love is never generated humanly, but can only be affected by God. It's one of the cool things throughout history, and it continues to this day, Christians that are being persecuted and martyred who are still trying to win their captors to Jesus. And by the way, are winning their captors and persecuted uh, or persecutors to Jesus because of this kind of love. Uh, and I want to say something else about this love. I said it before, but I think it's a powerful, powerful principle. Um, you know, when the Bible said, you know, it's interesting there in, uh, what, what chapter in the Bible do you think of as being the love chapter that describes what this type of love is? 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity uh, is a very good word there. Why does it just say love? Because uh, charity gives us a picture of what this love really looks like because the idea with charity is generally you give without expecting anything in return when it comes to charity. But it's interesting when you look there in 1 Corinthians 13 because it talks about giving all my worldly goods, giving my body to be burned, and have not charity. You know, it, it profiteth me nothing. But then, have you ever just stopped and asked the question, how could somebody do all that if they didn't have love? You know what's involved a lot of times? This is, this is a very, very common thing today. People sacrifice. But people sacrifice not necessarily for those to whom are benefiting from their sacrifice, but who is the main beneficiary to their sacrifice? Themselves. I told you about this. It's, it's a shame, and it's, this is being fostered. Uh, it's been fostered, really, in our culture uh, by well-meaning people. I was in a, in a group, and it was, it was involved young people, and, and, a, and, and part of the responsibilities of being in this group that this young people was a part of, which is very admirable, is to do charity, do good works. But then at their, you know, at, at at, at, at a time of recognition or whatever they're having, I, I, I sat and listened. It just broke my heart to where every one of these kids just got up and bragged about all their good works and about how caring they were and about how much I've done and so forth. Um, you, you, you watch and see. If you pay attention to that, you may catch it with yourself, but you'll definitely see it in the world. Look how much people, when they do something, man, they got to have their face on it oftentimes. And so, uh, so basically, somebody said it this way, and you've heard me say it before. I, I said it just a couple weeks ago, actually. Uh, but how that, um, that love without sacrifice, love that is, is not just for the sake of somebody else that's for the own person's sake, basically is, uh, is, is a form of self-worship. It's a form of, you know, the... the uh, the old uh, ancient uh, Greek god or whatever, that uh, Narciss, that was uh, so beautiful. He was told how beautiful and attractive and awesome he looked until uh, one day all of a sudden he went and uh, was getting a drink of water uh, out of the pond or whatever. And when he saw his reflection in the water, he said, my goodness, I do look good. And, uh, and he just quit and quit looking at himself. And so he was like condemned to look at himself for, hey, he, he was a narcissist. He was just totally obsessed with himself. And that's what, so there's people that do a lot of great things for people. But at the end of every day, they're looking in the mirror saying, man, don't I look good? Look how good I am. Look at the sacrifice. Look at the money I've given. Look at, the, look at all the time that I've given. Okay, I'm off track here. Uh, as far as the notes, I know it don't, it's not all about getting through, but 
Loving your neighbor as yourself, it's not about what you're going to get out of it. It's about what somebody else is going to get out of it. So it is a very human and natural temptation to do something for somebody and then look for somebody to go tell. i got to tell you what I did for these people because uh, uh, it made me feel so good. Um, and it does make you feel good, but man, ultimately we need to say, you know what, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm not doing it for my glory. I'm doing it for the glory of God. Um, and again, there's, there's nothing, it's great to do these things, but I'm saying some people just get slapped full of themselves for this. Okay, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. The 12 apostles, I believe, represented all four of the temperament types and various blends that we've studied here in this text. Jesus said this to them, I believe such a powerful verse on love, John 13, verse 35, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. How? That you have love one for another. That's powerful, isn't it? Uh, so, so all these different temperaments, he said, but you loving each other, and I believe it went to them, but I believe it obviously goes to the church uh, for, you know, until the Lord comes back again, loving one another. How can, how can a group of people like us love one another? We've got all kinds of different temperaments in here. Uh, we've got all kinds of different ways and habits, and we're made up of different people. Uh, how can we love one another? I'm telling you, it's by, it's by God's, and we don't think about it because we love one another so much. But if it was just us focusing on our natural weaknesses all the time, we would just think, man, I can't get along with that person. We're too different. We have different, different interests. But the fact of the matter is we love one another, and it's a testimony to the world around us that we have this kind of love one for another. This supernatural love, again, is not limited by temperament. While it's true that a choleric as a Christian may need, uh, as it would seem, more help from the Holy Spirit to either love more frequently or rather maybe express that love better. I believe that's, the, I believe that's really the heart of the issue a lot of times. It's not that a, especially a saved choleric has trouble loving. I think sometimes it's maybe expressing that love. Um, but, uh, you know, because sometimes it's, it, it may be harder for a choleric, for instance, to be sympathetic. You know, uh, and say, uh, you know, you look on a person's need and just say, well, it's their own fault. That's the fact. And it may be a fact that it's their own fault. But they still need the grace of God. Man fails his own fault. We're, we're, you know, us, I mean, you think about the condition of all of us, it's our own fault. But Jesus loved us enough. So, so, so clerics, it may be true that they need more of those reminders. Um, a sanguine may love a little bit more naturally, but at the same time, a sanguine can very, very well be tended, tended, tended toward selfishness in, uh, in their love. So no matter which end of the spectrum you're on, we need to have the Holy Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit of God to help us be more compassionate, more tender-hearted, and more loving. More compassionate, tender-hearted, and loving. And please do not hear compassionate, tender-hearted, and loving as weaknesses. Um, it's strengths. And you ought to know it's a strength if it's something that uh, you have trouble doing. And it, isn't it funny? It reminds me of like lifting something. It's, it's, it reminds me of somebody saying, oh, that's for weak people. Have you ever tried to lift it? Have you ever tried to carry compassion? Have you ever tried to be a compassionate person? Uh, it's easy to say that's light or that's weak, but the fact of the matter is, if you can acknowledge that, you know what, that's challenging and that's not a weakness. Uh, if I could actually a a accomplish some compassion, that would be a strength. That would be an accomplishment through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Um, 
Anybody remember what the word compassion, how would you define compassion? To suffer with. Uh, that's, that's a very good, uh, because that's, little, that's literally the, what the word means. Passion, we think, we think of passion, you know, our, our vocabulary and so forth, it's a little limited in the way we, that we use it, uh, because even we know the word passion, but we generally think of passion more in the realm of a, a, a man's, uh, maybe, maybe for a man's uh, or a woman's passion for one for another, uh, passion maybe about sports or something like that. We're thinking about it as, as this engrossing feeling, but the truth of the matter is passion, the, 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 word, the word literally means suffering. That's what it carries the idea of. Uh, that's why... Um, was, was I the only one confused, or am I the only one that's ever been confused? And again, remember, I was not raised in, uh, in a Christian home or family or anything like that, but I was always so confused when I would hear about the passion of Christ and that, the, that, that the, we'd, we'd go to this church and they would, or hear about this church having a passion play. And it was about the crucifixion of Christ. And that just always confused me. Uh, but th they did that because passion means suffering. Uh, so then C-O-M on the front of that means with. So it means suffering with with suffering it means to suffer with it means to feel to try to feel somebody else's pain to try to put yourself into that person's uh position and that's what compassion is uh but love so the holy spirit of god he's the one that can empower every one of us to love like we need to love he can help us husbands he can help us to love our wives we're commanded to love our wives as christ loved the church well, that's not my makeup. That's not how I am. Well, sorry, buddy. That doesn't excuse you. He said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Uh, that's a sacrificial way. That's, that's a love, by the way, man, that is, does not love asking, what can I get in return for this? See, men are really good at that. Men are really good at all of a sudden, they start having a, a little need or a little hankering, and all of a sudden, they're all friendly and nice. And they're ready to get some flowers and chocolates and go out to eat and thinking, okay, now, where's my payoff? Where's my payoff? I've invested in this. Uh, we could, uh, but anyway, I was thinking Rob could have done without the amen there, buddy. But, uh, but he's being honest, okay? But, but that's, not, that's, not what, uh, that's not the way we ought to love our wives. We ought, to love our, we ought to always love our wives, loving. And listen, it's a supernatural love. I'm not up here as some saint. I'm, I, can, I can tell you that side of Ralph's amen because I live there, because I am a man in the flesh. But what I'm telling you is that through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can love our wives the way Christ loved the church um, without expecting anything in the church. Listen, Jesus loved the church when the church was cussing it. Jesus loved the church when the church was absolutely no use whatsoever. Jesus loved the church when the church was awful awful men we have the responsibility part of being a man is manning up and loving your wife dwelling with your wife according to knowledge the bible says uh you know oh that's weak yeah you quit that you're weak you're i'm telling you you're weak you're a sissy and you're a punk he said well i can take you out in the parking lot right now maybe you could there's some other guys that might have my back so i'd be okay but look what I'm saying, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about overcome your stinking pride and arrogancy and show, and you, you, know what you, you know how your wife feels loved. Get over yourself and show her that love. Well, I don't like going out to eat. So what? She does. 
I don't, flowers is a waste of money. Is it? Does she like them? Then it's not. I don't want to sit out on the swing. I don't want to go for a walk. I got stuff to do. Yeah, you got stuff to do. Your commander, your Lord said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Uh, I, I feel really confident in this this morning because Melanie's not here, amen, to say. Um, but I'm just telling you that by God's grace, men, uh, we need to love our wives as Christ loved the church, amen? We don't need to sit around as well. I'm telling you, men, can we not be some of the biggest babies? Men, we're, we're, either, we're either fifth graders or sometimes at best we get to be seventh or eighth graders, but it seems like most of our lives we live somewhere around there. You know, I mean, we, we talked about this the other day. Now, ladies, there's a side of this message for you, too, and I'm not trying to get off on the home, but uh, actually I am, but because it does relate to love, but, but there's a side of this to you, too, ladies. But just for instance, uh, it's a man's thing. Most men, most men are in the fifth grade when it comes in this regard. Uh, we finally decided we're going to do something for our wives. You know, I'm going to wash the dishes. Honey, did you see I washed the dishes? It's like, you know, when you come home and you made this, uh, I don't know why I got to say ashtray, but, you know, I grew up in a different era. But I'm, I can remember making an ashtray in art class for my mom in elementary school. Uh, and, you know, it's just the goofiest little ashtray you've ever seen. Uh, but I remember just bringing it, and it's just like, what do you think, Mom? And I've just got to, and what's my, Mom knows, right? You, you moms know. That is, that is the best ashtray I've ever seen in my life. Son, that's the finest ashtray, uh, you know, or whatever. That's the prettiest picture. That's the prettiest drawing. That's the nice. Well, look how well you did on the yard today, son. You know, and it looks awful. Let me just say, man, are you, can you identify with that? Did you see what I did, honey? Then what happened? She didn't recognize what I did. I'll show her next time I do that. Oh, she wants something from me. She can forget it. I'll get her back. Uh, all right. And so am, am, I just, am I just talking nonsense up here? Do you, can you relate? Let me tell you something, ladies. As, as, let me tell you something, though. As hard as it is for you, guess what you need to do? You need to tell him, honey, that's a beautiful ashtray. Yes, you do. Now, men, we don't need to live expecting that. But, ladies, we, you, you have to, well, we need to make an effort. You need to make an effort as well. See, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. But the Bible says to the women, and see that the wife also reverence her husband. You know what that is? Respect. See, you, it, it, your husband's ego may just sicken you. He always has to feel like he's big and strong and handsome and accomplished and, and needed all the time. Guess who, got, how, who, who made him that way? God did. Guess what the Bible says? Respect him. Give him some respect. Give him some, uh, let him know, honey, I appreciate you. That does look great. It doesn't, it doesn't have, ladies, it doesn't have to be, well, it's about time. You know, or whatever. I mean, listen, there, there, there's a side to both of these. But as men, our love, we need to love, even if, I, even if your wife is just the most ultimate hag, the most ultimate sea hag that's on the face of the ocean, you're commanded to love her regardless. So, wives, that does not give you permission to be a sea hag. 
All right? You can make the effort and be good. And you can go, you can go the extra mile. Don't, don't go up and just be this awful person all of a sudden. Say, you heard what Pastor said. You gotta love me even when I'm when I'm nasty. Uh, no. Be respectful, show love and everything. All right. Um, love. Because that is a way, wives, that you can show your love toward your husband. Okay. So love, okay, we're moving on from love. Anything else uh, you want to, any clarifications, comments, or whatever about love? All right. Yeah. Down south, there'd be somebody right now saying, move on, preacher, move on. You're meddling. Uh, all right. Uh, so love, the second fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy. The second temp temperament characteristic of the spirit-filled person is joy. Uh, R.C.H. Linsky said, Yes, joy is one of the cardinal Christian virtues. It deserves a place next to love. Pessimism is a grave fault. This is not fatuous joy such as the world accepts. It is the enduring joy that bubbles up from all the grace of God in our possession, from the blessedness that is, that is ours, that is undimmed by tribulation. The joy provided by the Holy Spirit is not limited by circumstances. Many have mistaken the idea that they can be happy if their circumstances work out properly. Uh, but they have confused happiness with joy. Happiness is something that just happens because of the arrangement of circumstances. But joy endures in spite of circumstances. The joy of the Holy Spirit-filled Holy Spirit life is characterized by looking not at circumstances, but looking unto Jesus, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, the author and the finisher of our faith. Again, some temperaments aren't as prone to joy, but the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You can be joyful. Now, it may, again, it may not quite express itself as the loud, boisterous, saying one would express their joy. But you ought to have joy. You will have joy if you're filled with the Spirit. You'll have love. You'll have joy. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, looking unto Jesus. That's a, that's, there's an important thing about that. Looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. That's one of the ways that we're going to have joy, that we're going to produce joy. Remember, if I'm just planting these seeds in the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean you're going to walk out of here today and be giving away uh, cucumbers and tomatoes, okay? It, it, it's cultivated. It's grown. And one of the ways you can help cultivate joy is by looking unto Jesus. And when the Bible says looking unto Jesus, it doesn't just mean like I'm looking at you. As I'm looking at you today, I'm looking you know, across this congregation. Somebody could say, oh, you're looking at DJ. But that would not be the same way that Hebrews 12, 2 says to look to Jesus. Because it doesn't just say to look to Jesus, it says to look unto Jesus. And what that carries the idea of is it doesn't mean I'm looking at DJ, I'm looking at Richard, I'm just going across the room. It means that I'm looking unto DJ. I'm looking away. Matter of fact, it would be more like this. I'm looking to this wall. And I'm going to turn from all this, and I'm just going to look here. How is this cultivated? What are you looking at? What do you, what do you dwell on? What are you thinking about? You know what? You'll never have joy. You'll never have joy if you're spending too much time looking at things you ought not to look at, dwelling on things that you ought not to dwell on. 
whether they're true or not. You know, I mean, I, I talk a lot about looking at the news and uh, things of that nature. Uh, hey, I, I believe in looking at the news long enough to stay informed. But I'm telling you, there comes a time when we just need to look away and look unto Jesus. Look, what, what are you dwelling on all the time? Let me ask you this. Are you dwelling on your weaknesses all the time? Are you dwelling on your failures all the time? Are you dwelling on the failures of others? Are you, are you, are you dwelling on, listen, look unto Jesus. Catch yourself. The Bible says think on these things. The Bible says we need to bring every thought to the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to think about what you're thinking about all the time. Where is your mind at? And you can look sometimes and you'll say, wait, 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 wait. Stop and think about what you're thinking about. Number one, we need to be in the Word enough. And it's another way that we cultivate joy, love, and the fruit of the Spirit is through the Word of the God. The Word of God is the seed that the Spirit of God works through in our hearts. So we've got to get the Word of God in us, reading it every day, being involved, uh, studying it. And as we do this, we'll be able to think about what we're thinking about and say, wait, 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 wait. That's not a thought that honors God. That's not a true thought. You know, whether, you know, some are obvious if you're thinking just straight out sinful things. But let me ask you this. If you're thinking of yourself as a failure, are you thinking right? If you're saved by God's grace? Absolutely not. God said you as a conqueror. Who's right? Who's right? You or God? See? I mean, whatever it is. Um, if you're thinking, as we started off with today, I can't do that. I've tried to be that husband. I've tried to be that wife. I've tried to be that Christian. I just can't do it. Well, who's right? You or God? Because Paul said, I can do all things through Christ with strength. I can't overcome this worry. I've tried, Pastor, and it just ain't working. Well, guess what? You know, it's, uh, thinking about the garden, anybody that, that has a good garden, a good field, or whatever it is they're trying to produce, man, there's stuff always trying to attack those gardens, aren't there? Man, there's weeds you're going to have to pull up. There's, uh, you know, there, there's pruning that you're going to have to do, uh, purging you're going to have to do. There's, there's insects flying in all the time that you got to try to deal with. It's like you're always on guard. Man, you first, sometimes you first, some, some, a lot of times it's just these little things. that This could be a good message, couldn't it, if you sat and thought about it? Um, we, there's these little things that try to peck away and, and get at us. But then I think about sometimes, how about the deer and the rabbits, you know? Man, sometimes they're not little things. They'll come in right when something starts to grow and just come in and just try to chomp the whole thing off, and there it goes. Uh, you know, when we have things like that. But the fact of the matter, the, the point that I'm trying to make, folks, is it's, it, there's, this is work. Because one thing we always have with us is that old nature. Those weaknesses that we spent time studying about. By the way, Michael made a copy of Strengths and Weaknesses, and I bet they're back in my office. But... Um, Oh, they're on the table there. Okay, thanks, Kurt. Thank you, Michael. Um, but uh, but we, we look at those weaknesses. They've kind of they, they've kind of got a, a lot of those, them have a, have a root in us. So man, we're growing, we're doing good. The fruit of the spirit's starting to show itself. But then all of a sudden, here comes that selfishness up. All of a sudden, here comes that bitterness. All of a sudden, comes up that depression. All of a sudden, comes up that. Um, lack of self-control. All of a sudden, these weeds start growing up again. So what do we do? We've got to go try to get them again and pull them out, try to get them out by the, weed, uh, by the roots or whatever, uh, do what we can. But see, as Christians, too often we make one trip to the altar and we just say, okay, that did it. One trip to the altar doesn't do it. Man, I dealt with this today. That's wonderful. But there's other insects coming in tomorrow when you get to work. 
There's other, there's other weeds going to try to poke up when you leave here today. Salvation is no process. Salvation, the moment we trust Christ, we're saved by the grace of God. Amen? I mean, instantaneously. But I'm telling you, the work of sanctification that God does in our hearts is a process. It is a process. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so there's joy. Uh, let's see. Um, a couple other truths that can help us cultivate this joy. Romans 8, 28. The Bible says, "Looking unto G or, I'm sorry, all things work together for good to them who are, for those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. In the scripture, joy and rejoicing are frequently uh, represented as expected forms of Christian behavior. They are not the result of self-effort, but the work of the Holy Spirit. As you look to Christ, the Spirit allows you, as the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 5. I wish I'd had that up here. Psalm 37, verse 5. The Bible says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Um, while in prison, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Uh, he says in Psalm 4, verse 7, I love this verse. He says, the Lord, the Lord has put gladness in my heart more than in the time when their wine and grain is increased. I've got joy in my heart. Things are going good for the world, but I'm more joyous than that, even though things aren't going well for me right now. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, or always, and again I say rejoice. <laughs> the, the, the power to this, and I've said it before, the, the, the power of Joy is that, as, as much as we, we think about it, and I know I talk about joy a lot, but the, the way that joy builds our faith and rejoicing builds our faith, I say that because for most of my Christian life, being a joyful, rejoicing type of person and, and, and loving that, uh, I, I, I was even labeled by my pastor as shallow. Why? Because I was rejoicing all the time. And I love to praise the Lord. Shallow. He just lives on this emotional level, you know. He's shallow. And if you're just, if it's just on my emotions, but what he didn't know was things weren't good in my life right then. But you know who was? My God. Amen. What he didn't know is that I wasn't having a great week. But my God didn't change. I'm telling you the power, I wish you would do it. I, and I've, I've encouraged it. I know if, if I've encouraged it once, I've probably encouraged it a hundred times. But man, I want to encourage you. Rejoice anyway. Rejoice. Pray, learn to praise God. Well, I don't feel like it. Man, we can't live our Christian lives on the way we feel. We don't always feel like going to church. We don't always feel like doing right. And let's be honest. I mean... There may be some, they may not always feel like being faithful to their wives. Well, I don't really feel like it. Oh, okay, well, if you don't feel like it. You know, we act as if that means something. I mean, that means nothing. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It matters what God's Word says. We don't, we don't live for God based on what we feel like. We live for God based on what He told us to do, what He said. So by the grace of God, we need to learn. I'm telling you, man, I, man, I tell you. I, if I could just tell you the times in my life that my faith has increased, brother, when I have felt overwhelmed. The walls coming in around me, I mean, surrounded by the enemy. It seemed like all hope was gone. I didn't see a way out. I'm praying to God to help. I feel hopeless. I feel desperate. I almost feel despair. 
But I've just got to stop, and I've learned to do it by the grace of God, and just say, Lord, but I want to thank you. I want to praise you for saving my soul. And if you love me enough to save my soul, I don't understand it, but I know you either love me enough to deliver me through this or from this, as we were talking about last week. I know you love me that much. I don't feel that you love me that much right now. No, no, no. I don't feel as if you're in a million miles of me right now, God. But it's not about my feelings. It's about the truth. So you know what? By God's grace, and I'm telling you, the Bible says that we can shout for joy. You may not be comfortable doing it in this church this morning, but I encourage you, do it in your vehicle. Just try it. Just do it in your vehicle. Do it in your home. Woo! Just shout, hallelujah! And I'm telling you, I've, and I'm telling you, I've seen this in my life. I've seen it in my life to where just like the children of Israel walked around the walls of Jericho, brother, there's been times I've seen the walls just come tumbling down when I shout just like they did for the children of Israel. Joy, joy, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, people. Oh, I'm not that emotional of a person. Sorry. You don't need to be an emotional person. You just need to be a person who believes God. You just need to be a person who's willing to be obedient to God. Rejoice. Have joy. Um, so um, I, I, I thought this was a good question. And by the way, this is great. John 15, listen to what Jesus said. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you. My joy. That's key. See, because our joy is more the happiness kind of stuff. Jesus, I want to put my kind of joy in you. He says that my joy might remain. That means to abide. Same word. To abide in you, to remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Isn't that something? Jesus didn't say, these things have I spoken unto you that you live right. I mean, that, he, he wants us to do that too. He said, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. God wants Christians. See, the fruit of the Spirit testifies to a lost and dying world. It testifies to other believers in Christ, the power of God in our lives. Just like His love magnifies that, joy magnifies that. There's an old writer, I, I like what he said. He said, God does not like doubt and dejection. He hates dreary doctrine and gloomy thought. God likes cheerful hearts. He did not send his son to fill us with sadness, but to gladden our hearts. Christ says, rejoice, for your names are written in heaven. Amen. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Try it, amen? Cultivate that joy in your heart. Be a joyous person. Preacher, things are terrible. I know that. You're not telling me nothing. But God's good. And, and, I, and again, one of, the, one of the things I've been accused of that I always try to get out ahead of now is to say that this, uh, I would never make light of your trouble. I would not. I would not make light of the thing you're going through. Not at all. Even if I don't understand it. Some things I can understand and I think, man, that'd be awful to go through. Other things, it would be easy for me from the human side to say, well, that don't seem so bad. But I don't do that either. You know why? Because it's bad for them. It's bad for them, and I try to sympathize with that. But I'm telling you, even then, your name's written in heaven if you're saved. So guess what? You can rejoice. How are things going? Oh, awful. But man, I'm saved. How do you feel? Terrible. But I'm saved. Jesus loved me enough to die for me. 
He's put the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of me. He's given me the Word of God. I'm saved. I'm sealed. I'm signed. And I'm soon to be delivered. Jesus is coming again. <laughs> I'll tell you something that I've rejoiced in many times. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's today. I look up to that sky. Oh, Jesus. Might be today. And I've rejoiced. You said, did he come that day? Yeah, and then I came back later. No, he didn't. But I'll tell you one thing. It's true. He may come today. Amen. And he is coming. And then lastly, of the three, three first fruit of the Spirit, they kind of go together, especially joy. And then he said, peace. When you get saved, again, you instantaneously have the peace of God. Or peace, yeah, peace with God. Let me, let me rephrase that. The moment you're saved, you have peace with God. Prior to being saved, the Bible says because of our sins, we were enemies with God. But when you're saved, you have peace with God. There's a declaration of peace. You'll never be at war with God again. In that, in that sense that we have peace with God. But the Bible says then we need to have the peace of God. The peace of God. And that's just a trust, peace. That's knowing, kind of what I was saying, that God's got it all in control. I love Romans. We, we read Romans, uh, uh, Romans 8 is just tremendous, by the way. But I quoted the verse there about, you know, all things working together for good. Not all things are good, but we know that all things are working together for good. Well, I don't like it. Well, I don't either, but just wait for the end result. Amen? Wait for the cookies to come out of oven. And then that flour and vanilla and eggs, they make sense now. Okay? Uh, wait. Uh, wait for that to come out. Uh, all things are working together for good, but he also says this, one of my favorite verses in this regard as well. He said how, the, he, oh man, let me flip over there. It's one of these that I end up stumbling over, and I'm, but Romans 8, just tremendous, but I believe it's verse number 32. The Bible says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered up him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Just think about that for a moment. This is a logical question. That's a very logical question. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. So if God loved me enough to send his son to the cross for me and for you, and he did, didn't he? Okay. So he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? all that we need. I mean, our lives are in the control of God. I mean, I think it's absolute foolishness for us to think this way. It, it's, it seems like it's human nature to think this way. But it's foolish for us to think that God has forsaken us or that God doesn't love us anymore, or that God's not going to help us or that, that things are out of God's control. We may not ever say that, but we act like that. Because we just got to say, man, I don't get this for nothing. But I'll tell you one thing. If he loved me enough to die for me, I know he loved me enough to help me with this issue I'm facing. I know that if this is in my life, he's going to use it for his good and his, for his glory. So, as we sit here and consider in closing these four temperaments and the temperament blends, I think you can see how every, every one of us have these weaknesses, but I'm telling you, no matter what your weakness in temperament may be, the Spirit of God is the answer. The Word of God cultivating this fruit, growing in our hearts and lives, uh, to help us and to uh, accentuate our strengths and then to just even help us in some places that are just total weaknesses for us, help us to overcome those by the grace of God. Amen.
All right. Uh, well, I went just a few minutes over. So any, any quick questions or comments before we close out, though?